Can't sleep? Don't want to sleep? Afraid to sleep? Are the windows closed? Are your doors locked? Did you check your closet? And under your bed? Maybe you should keep a light on in the hallway, just in case. Now settle in. Make yourself comfortable. Lay back. Close your eyes. And let me tell you a story. Truth, they say, is stranger than fiction. You might tell a friend, hey, you should watch that movie or read this book. It's really good. But haven't we all at one time or another experienced something in real life that when we share it with someone, we tell them, you'll never believe what happened to me. The following story is true. Every word of it. The Sign on December 3rd, 2023, my brother, Jim, passed away. I still find it difficult to say the words, he died. Jim was my twin, my identical twin. And for nearly 60 years, despite periods when we were separated by distance and time, we traveled through this life together. Jim was an incredible veterinarian he built his own practice, selflessly caring for countless animals. He also was an accomplished woodworker and wrote a series of cozy mystery novels featuring a crime-solving vet who has a lot of the same quirks he did. He made the lives of everyone he knew better. I was so proud of him. And although we didn't say such things aloud, I knew he was proud of me, too. A couple of years ago, Jim took one of the bucket list trips he and his friends enjoyed in his last years. This one was without the wives, and included stops to see things like the giant Superman statue in Metropolis, Illinois, and a similar tribute to Popeye in his creator's hometown of Chester. I caught up with the group in Oklahoma, just as they were heading to visit a bakery in Kansas that made Doctor Who-themed donuts. His friends needed to get home, but Jim and I were in no hurry so we tried to think of other cool places to go. The one we really wanted to visit was just too far away, so we promised to do that on our next trip. Instead, we plotted a meandering course back that stopped at all the world's largest attractions we could find along the way. We stood in awe before the world's largest fork, took photos in front of the world's second largest rocking chair, which at some point had its first place status supplanted by an even more ambitious rocking chair engineer. In St. Louis, we found the world's largest cap gun, hanging outside an old toy warehouse that now housed a restaurant that made a decent Reuben. The world's largest rail splitter Conestoga wagon stood as a monument to Illinois' favorite son, Abe Lincoln, and the world's largest ketchup bottle served as a water tower. It reminded us both of the kitschy tourist traps we used to visit on family vacations when we were kids. At each one, we took a selfie in which Jim invariably made a goofy face. It was a blast. We never had a chance, however, to take that one last road trip we promised ourselves. The pancreatic cancer that we thought he had beaten three years earlier reared its ugly head. Our parents, 
even though they saw his end coming, still took it very hard. Your children are not supposed to die before you do. And I had lost my other half. When you're a twin, you're never just one person. You're part of a matched set, Jim and Rich, the Hosick boys. I took it for granted that he would always be there, that we would grow old together, go golfing, watch our boys go out into the world and make lives for themselves that we would be unabashedly proud of. It wasn't right that he was gone. It wasn't fair that he would never meet his grandchildren or enjoy the fruits of his labors and thriftiness. People asked me how I was feeling after Jim died. I told them, I don't know. It wasn't a feeling I recognized. I was sad, certainly, but it was more than that. Whatever it was eluded my ability to put into words. The day he passed, I told my family that I was going away for a few days. It was an incredibly selfish and stupid thing to do. My parents needed me, and I needed them. But for some reason, I needed to take that last road trip Jim and I had promised each other even more. So, early the next morning, I got into my car and started driving. It was then, while I was speeding down the interstate under an overcast sky, that I realized what the cloud hanging over me really was. I was alone. I had been by myself plenty of times. I sometimes enjoyed solitude, especially while taking long driving trips. But I always knew if I came across some weird tourist attraction like the world's largest igloo in Alaska, I could tell Jim about it. But now here I was, truly alone for the first time in my life. Because when you're a twin, you're not supposed to be just one person. You're supposed to be a matched set. Rich and Jim. The Hosek boys. I shook with tears, like I had done every morning during those last months as I watched Jim waste away, trying in vain to get him to eat, and exercise, and fight. But he had given his all. Most people diagnosed with pancreatic cancer last only a few months. We had three and a half years with Jim. A wonderful gift. But why, when it looked like for a while he had won that impossible battle, did he have to go at all? He should have been in the car with me, listening to an audiobook, planning our meals for the day, looking forward to our next stop. Like we did on that last road trip together, I instructed Google Maps to search for the world's largest anything along the way. I found Iowa's largest frying pan and although it wasn't large, stopped off to see a t-ball stadium dressed up to be a replica of Chicago's Wrigley Field. Then what I was hoping to find showed up on the list. The world's largest bullhead. It was quite a bit out of my way, but that didn't matter. I had to see it. I imagined a giant head of a bull mounted on a huge wooden plaque, like a monstrous hunting trophy. Turns out though, a bullhead is actually a fish. And the world's largest one is over 20 feet long and perched atop a great stone pillar. It was perfect. A monument to the denizen of the small lake whose shores the giant bullhead guarded. 
I took some photographs, even a selfie in which I imagined Jim was standing next to me making a goofy face. But when I looked at the photo on my phone, it was just me and the bullhead on the screen. The area was rather rural. Farms mostly occupied the surrounding land. There was a mobile home park across the street from the lake, a small town laid out to the west, and some campgrounds nestled up against the frozen water. It was getting dark. The sky was choked with clouds, but there wasn't any threat of rain or snow in the air. As I headed back to my car, I noticed a path leading along the shore. For some reason, I had the idea that I should check it out. Perhaps it led around the lake. It was a rather small body of water, a mile or so around, and I could likely finish circumnavigating it before it was too dark. Besides, I had been driving all day at this point, and it would do me good to stretch my legs. So I started walking down the paved path, past cinderblock buildings and boat lifts hauled out of the water for the winter. I was the only person around. Apparently the shores of Crystal Lake on a Monday evening in early winter were not a popular destination. There was a chill in the air and the jacket I was wearing barely kept the cold out, but it promised to be a brief detour, so I went on. After a while, the path turned to gravel and carved its way through the woods that bordered this part of the lake. I was never too far from the water, and a steep slope to my left hid whatever was on the other side. Someone had set some painted statues of animals off the path among the trees, a black bear and a white donkey. I tried to imagine why such a pair existed, what circumstances led them to be placed in the small clearing so that people traversing the path might enjoy their company? Had they been part of a larger collection of statues? Or did they represent characters in some local folk story or fairy tale? It was a curious mystery, but I didn't have time to sort it out. I wanted to complete my brief side trip before dusk had passed into night. After a while, I came across a chain hanging across the path between two trees. It wasn't a very intimidating barrier. One could easily step over it. Attached was a sign reading, No Trespassing. But on one of the trees that supported the meager blockade was another sign that read, Private Property, Stay on Path. I had promised my mother that I would be careful on my trip. I wouldn't try to drive if I was tired, nor do anything else reckless or dumb. That's what had stopped me from testing the ice that covered the lake. It looked like I might be able to walk across it, but if I fell through into that frigid water, there was no one around to hear me cry for help. Despite all the signs and common sense that told me I should turn around and just go back to my car, I couldn't help but focus on those last words painted on the rusted metal of the sign nailed to the tree. Stay on path. So I did. I stepped over the ineffectual chain and continued along the path as it wound its way through the woods. My feet crunched on the gravel that was now more and more overgrown with weeds. Through the trees, I could see a flock of large white birds gather on a break in the ice. Geese? Why that part of the lake hadn't frozen, I couldn't tell. Perhaps that was the location where an underground spring fed the body of water, and the constant churning left that small area ice-free. After a while, the path narrowed and led away from the lake. It ended at a felled cornfield. My adventure was going to be cut short before I made it a quarter of the way. It would probably be a good idea to turn around and head back along a route I was sure of. 
Who knew if there was actually any viable path that completely encircled the lake? But a bit further up, I saw a patch of tall grass. And was that a path leading through it? It wouldn't cost me much in terms of time and effort to find out. So I walked along the edge of the field as it butted up against the strip of trees separating it from the lake until I reached the grass. It wasn't quite a path, but a thin part between the tan stalks. But again, for some reason, I decided to ignore the advice of my mother and my own common sense and continue onward. The ground was frozen, and I suspected that if I had made this journey in the summer, this field would have been impassable. Thick mud would have tried to suck my shoes off as I stepped through. After a while, however, the ground under the grass became increasingly rocky until I found myself on what appeared to be a gravel road. Further inspection revealed it was a dike protecting the farmer's field from the lake on the other side. The trees along the shore had thinned, and I could see the birds I had thought were geese earlier gathered where the lake hadn't completely frozen over yet more clearly, and hear them. They didn't sound like the Canada geese that populated the runoff ponds and golf courses near where I lived. They had long necks and black beaks. Swans. I don't think I'd ever seen a flock of swans that large before. There were dozens, if not hundreds. I could also see the world's largest bullhead on the opposite shore. Despite the challenges, I hadn't made it halfway. So I went on. After a while, the gravel barrier of the dike ended at a gate and a fence that separated me from a small collection of homes, likely summer residences since they seemed vacant at the moment. And on the gate was a sign with those two words I had so impetuously ignored earlier. No trespassing. I knew I could make my way back the way I had come. Night was rapidly falling, and I could return to my car before it was completely dark. But there didn't seem to be any people around to chase me away or yell to get off their property. So I climbed over the fence and walked along the driveway that snaked among the houses. They were indeed vacant. There were no lights on in the windows, no cars laying claim to the residences. After a while, the driveway ended at a road. I looked around the dimly lit landscape. The lake was no longer in view, and I had completely lost my sense of direction. I pulled out my phone and turned it on. The navigation app was still open, showing the way to the world's largest bullhead. A blue line was superimposed over a road that would take me to my car in safety. A path that would complete my reckless sojourn so I could continue my drive. The way back. And the name of that road was James Avenue. My brother's name. I laughed to keep from crying and looked up at the starless night sky. <laughs> Thank you, Jim, I said aloud. Thank you. Now, you could make an argument that the name of that road was just coincidence, that it was pure random chance that put me on James Avenue that night. But when I thought back to all the choices that led up to that moment, all the decisions I had made over the last couple of days, the previous hour, some of them reckless and dumb, the barriers I had to surmount, and the warnings I had to ignore, the complete shunning of common sense, which some might argue is actually not that unusual for me. For all that to lead me to a place 
where I could find an answer to the oppressive loneliness I had found myself suffering. I knew Jim was there with me. Somehow, he had brought me to James Avenue, alongside Crystal Lake, home to the world's largest bullhead, and given me this sign. A sign that I wasn't really alone. He was there, and he would always be there. I made it safely back to my car and continued on toward my destination, the place we had wanted to visit all those years earlier but never got the chance. But the real journey I was on had found its end. When I woke the next day, I didn't cry like I had all the mornings before when it was clear that we were losing Jim. And over the next couple of days, I completed my trip, always on the lookout for the world's largest anything along the way. The first thing I did when I got home was to tell my parents about my adventure and Jim's sign. I don't know if they were comforted or just thought I was crazy. But a couple of weeks later, my mom told me about her own experience. She had a new cleaning lady who had taken the dozens of photographs cluttered on a table in the living room and set them aside so she could dust. And when they were put back, with no regard for how they had been previously arranged, a photo of Jim and his family was set right in front. My mother explained that she had sat down later and glanced over at the cluttered collection of photos and saw Jim smiling at her, not even remembering that that picture was stuck among all the others, hidden until some unseen hand guided its placement to where my mother could see it. It was Jim, she told me. It had to be. And at that moment, I think she had an understanding of the peace I had come to know, with the certain knowledge that Jim was still with us. He would always be with us. And someday, we'll all be together again. Thank you for listening to The Sign, a true story told by Rich Hosek on the Bedtime Stories for Insomniacs Mostly Fiction podcast. Please remember to subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Rate us on Apple, Spotify, and Audible. And share these stories, as well as the unabridged audiobook versions of my novels, with anyone you know who enjoys audio fiction. Be sure to visit bedtimestories.studio, where you can sign up for our Insomniac's Snoozeletter to be notified of new episodes and exclusive offers, and get a free bookmark. You can visit richhosick.com to learn more about the host of Bedtime Stories for Insomniacs. Thanks again, and all the very best.